What up, this is Dart Adams, and this is episode 44 of Dart Against Humanity. So, uh, the one-year anniversary of Dart Against Humanity passed. It was April 22nd. Uh, The first episode of Dart Against Humanity ever recorded was, again, April 22nd, 2008. I didn't mention it because, of course, I did the whole episode about it being the 25th anniversary of Illmatic and it being the incorrect day before the 20th anniversary of Operation Doomsday. I, as I mentioned before, I wanted to do updates of two articles, the last two articles that I did for Hip Hop Wired. And when I worked for Hip Hop Wired, one of the things I did as a device so I knew that it would get greenlit was I would pull up that, oh, these two albums are having anniversaries coming up. And my thing was doing album anniversary retrospectives, which a few writers actually picked up and ran with themselves. Not that it wasn't a thing people already did. It's just that it got to be a point where in content the content era that you can guarantee yourself a greenlit piece and you don't have to do as much um, negotiating or trying to sell somebody on it if you have a classic album anniversary because that's something that's guaranteed to get clicks or draw traffic. So what I did was I saw that It was written down as Operation Doomsday's release date was April 20th. And five years ago, I said, all right, I can do an Illmatic piece, but I'm not going to do the normal Illmatic piece. I'm going to do an alternative take on the legacy of Illmatic because everybody's going to do the same Illmatic piece. Bang, I get um, greenlit. Then I say, I'm going to do a piece about Operation Doomsday. Oh, that's the day after? Bam, a greenlit. What I didn't do five years ago, due to the fact I was writing two articles simultaneously, is do my due diligence and wait. Did this album actually come out on April 20th? Because I remember buying the album. I remember owning the album. What season did it actually come out in? I didn't go back and actually look. Because again, time constraints. And ultimately, the uh, main motivation for doing the articles were um, money. Because I needed the money so that I could get the money and then buy a passport. Because as I mentioned before, I was supposed to go to North by Northeast and judge a beat battle in Toronto. And I had a window that I needed the money by. I need a certain amount of money. And then I needed to get my passport. Then I needed the wait time for the passport. And once that window closed, I wasn't going to be able to do it. And I wasn't going to be able to go. So, again, I did not do research. I did not do my um, due diligence. And I wrote an article five years ago about Operation Doomsday on the basis that the actual album came out April 20th. Now, what happened was after I posted these two pieces and I didn't try to sell them, I just posted them on my medium. 
uh, Bobito Garcia immediately posted something saying, uh, here's proof of when I got my um, test vinyl. And the date on the test vinyl is September 22nd, 1999. That being the case, Operation Doomsday could not have come out in April. And I'm like, hmm, that makes sense. So what I do is I go to my own personal records. I go through my own personal records. And here I have a piece of paper. I actually uh, took a picture of it and posted it on um, Twitter and Instagram. Uh, it's a printout from sandbox.com. Actually, the actual thing is sandbox.pair.com backslash fondle backslash. It's the Fondulum Records catalog printed out. At the time of the printing of June 19, 1999, uh, the Fondulum discography consisted of FE101, Godfather Dawn, uh, Cool Keith, The Cinnabites, Juggernaut's Clear Blue Skies LP, Arsonist, The Session Halloween, The Arsonist, Blaze, Gimbo's Theme Flashback, Mr. Live, Relax Yourself, Super Duper, and Hunger Strike, Saya, and, Yesh- and Yeshua, um, the EP, then uh, Saya's Repetition Pyrite, Lord Seer, Alcoholic Vibes, Stack Cheddar, My Hindu Love, Cage, Radiohead, or- or- Asian Orange, Doom, Dead Bent, Grass, Glass, um, Grass Draws, Hay, Doom, Greenbacks, Go With The Flow, KMD, Black Bastards, Roughs and Rares, uh, KMD, What A Nigga Know, Constipated Monkey, Q3, Science Of Life, Powers Of Nine, Ether And The Anthem, Science Of Life, Metaphysics, 2000, And What To Expect, MF, Grim, Do It For The Kids, Bloody Love Letter, There's Boulevard Collection, Sutman, Peak, Pinky, Picky P, or Pinky P, one of them. The Nut House, A Love Supreme, Synapses, Very Vocabulary, Megahertz, World, World Premiere, and Camus, J Treads, Make It Happen, Praise Do, Rock One, Certified Superior, 90 Degrees of Peace, and the new releases as of June 1999 DJ Eli and Shan of Cloud Kickers, and So Kitty's Truly Grifted Ones, and Megalon, One in a Million, Peace to the Homeless. Those were the new releases. In June 1999, what you did not hear on that list was Operation Doomsday. And Operation Doomsday is listed as FE 86. The last uh, KMD release on this list is um, FE 84. So there's proof right there that I could have easily done five years ago had I had the time and put forth the actual effort if I actually did my job but I didn't care about doing my job properly I just cared about doing the piece getting it up being able to um, invoice it get paid for it and do what I wanted to do And that's how somebody who's meticulous and does research falls into the trap that I get on everybody else about because I tried to get paid. That's nuts, right? The speed of journalism doesn't allow for it to be good all the time. So that's how I fell into the trap. And of course, I immediately came clean about what happened and how I didn't do my research five years ago and how what that led to now. And I felt like, yo, I need to do my job and find the fucking release date for this album. 
So I go through all my um, magazines and my my crates and go through my receipts and stuff like that. And um, I can't find a definitive anything. Because I went through my uh, my collection of stress. Stress would definitely have print um, ads for, you know, MF Doom. I don't have the specific stresses for the release that would have covered uh, November to December or September to December 1999. Don't have them. I start looking at like, all right, so let's look through Blaze. I don't have the issue that would. XXL. Look, I don't have. I have the early issues of XXL. Don't have. Ego Trip. Don't. Don't have it. On the go. God damn it. No, don't. And I'm just like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? So I'm like, oh, Hip Hop Connection. I go through my HHCs. I don't have that window. So I'm guessing it came out like November 9th, 16th, 23rd, 1999. I'm going to keep looking for the, the date. But bottom line is, I was wrong. Didn't have it. And that's what it is. What I did do, um, was I was just beside myself having done that, but you know, I'm human. I have to remind myself of that. But today is the 25th anniversary of, um, Outcast Southern Playlistic Cadillac Music. Came out the week after Illmatic. Came out the week after um, Shaheem the Rugged Child, aka the Rugged Child. Um, album sold pretty well out the gate. Kept selling due to the single. Kept moving. Eventually went gold really fast. Classic album. Uh, they're more popular for the first thing that they did, the definitive thing that they did was at the, I believe the 95 Source Awards when Andre 3000 said the South got something to say, uh, when people were just like, the 95 Source Awards were just a mess. The 25th anniversary of the 1994 Source Awards just passed, and people don't talk about the 94 source awards because nobody intended to air that for television you know the 95 source awards is where the shit hit the fan that was the one we did it brooklyn you know come to death row everything happened to 95 source awards nobody talks about the 94 source awards funny thing is that um another anniversary just passed the 1989 boston music awards um, I actually did a post about the 1989 Boston Music Awards because the context behind it was what happened was um, Liz uh, from Twitter, uh, I believe it's uh, Love the Puck, but her original Twitter account was uh, Liz's Locker Room. It got 
taken down because she posted hockey highlights at the last Winter Olympics and the IOC blocked her or locked her account and she's been trying to get it back since. It's insane. Hockey highlights. But anyways, uh, she sent me this uh, link to, uh, it said April 24th, 1989 was New Kids on the Block Day in Boston, to which I responded. I was like, yeah, but April 25th, 1989 was Bobby Brown Day. And again, somebody wanted some clarification. Cool. I ran down this history. April 22nd, 1989 uh billboard came out in billboard there was this big article about uh maury star maury star had to kind of recover from his reputation taking a hit from losing new edition new edition going double platinum them not getting paid them suing him and streetwise for getting jerked pretty much and then there was a lawsuit um maury star put out on them because they were New Edition, and he was like, New Edition's my copyright, even though I didn't come up with the name. Uh, that court case raged on for years. I actually have the full, all the documents from it, the final decision. I have them in my room right now. It's insane. Uh, I might do like a post in June. June is when they finally came up. I think June 86 is when they finally decided it. Um, but it had been raging on for years. And I actually have all the documentation. But this article was like kind of his um, retribution, you know. And it was kind of his redemption. Like he finally found success again. He done it again. And the success of New Kids on the Block was so huge that um, at the Boston Music Awards, the day after, uh, Maury Starr actually won Producer of the Year. But Bobby Brown won almost every other award. I think like every award was either won by Bobby Brown, Tracy Chapman, or New Kids on the Block. That's how it was. It was like every category, Bobby Brown, Bobby Brown, Bobby Brown, Bobby Brown, Bobby Brown, New Kids on the Block, Bobby Brown, New Kids on the Block, Bobby Brown, New Kids on the Block, Tracy Chapman, Tracy Chapman, Tracy Chapman, Tracy Chapman, Tracy Chapman, Tracy Chapman, Tracy Chapman. That's kind of what the Boston Music Awards in 1989 were. Tracy Chapman's career actually began in Boston. A lot of people, a lot of you don't know that. A lot of people's careers started here. A lot. Anyways, um... That's just something that not a lot of people were going to write about. I did um, because I actually remember it. Another uh, crazy thing that just happened today. I just came back from a 715 showing of Avengers Endgame three hour movie. Um, I'm emotionally Yeah, um, I'm I'm not gonna say spent because that's too much. That's going too far. Um, I just think that like the average person 
or the average moviegoer will need time to deal with what they just saw and to process everything that just happened. I'm not a normal person. What Take that to mean whatever you want, but it's still a lot to deal with. It's a lot that happened. Um, I didn't take my eyes off the screen. I caught everything. I'm not one of those people that like, I need like an explanation for what happened here and here and here. No, no, no. I catch all the shit that happens. There was a screening that my brother and I went to. Uh, we were late. It was for Doctor Strange. We're sitting all the way in the front. We're sitting so far in the front because it was the very last season. It was packed. We're so far in the front that I'm leaning back in my seat sideways so I can see what's actually happening on the screen. I catch everything. I caught that they were wearing Adidas. I caught all the little side jokes. I caught all the Easter eggs. I caught everything from that angle being late. And my brother was like, how did you fucking catch all that stuff? I was like, I was paying attention. He had to go back and see it again. That's how that's how how disoriented he was. I am like laser focused on shit like that. Three hour movie. That's nothing. I watch. I, I would watch like um, when I was a kid, I would watch like Deer Hunter for fun. That's not a brag. That's actually sad. That's weird. Who the fuck watches the, the director's cut? Of um, Apocalypse Now. Who? Who owns it? I do. I used to watch Dune as a teenager because I preferred it to Star Wars. What kind of person does that? I, I think I told the story about how I said that I didn't like Goonies as a kid. Because I thought it was corny. And Jean Grey said, don't ever tell people that, Dark. Because people will think you don't have a soul. And I want people to love you like I do. <laughs> so I'm that kind of person. I saw the entire film. Didn't I, don't, I didn't do much blinking. Caught everything. Everything. If I was to go on YouTube right now and pretty sure somebody has an Easter egg thing up. I caught everything. I guarantee you. And just let me tell you. A lot of shit happened that I didn't see coming, which is always a, uh, a, a always a surprise for me. Me being that I try to catch all the angles and everything, but that one threw me for a loop a couple times. I didn't see a lot of stuff coming. A lot of stuff happened that we knew might possibly happen, but the way they executed it, <coughs> A1, they did a phenomenal job. Um, one of the things I loved the most, too, is as a writer... One of the hardest things to do when you're writing something long is to pace it and do it in a way that doesn't get boring or bogged down or makes you feel like it's a chore to read. Like, oh, words. Like, it should just be something where you don't want to put it down. That three hours flew by. That has to be that's hard and there was a there were a lot of moving pieces with this script 
There was a lot going on. And somehow they managed to make it all work. And I loved that. I was in awe at the end. Um, I'm not uh, the happy ending guy. Um, so one time my sister came over and we're watching Netflix or something like we're eating and I'm watching something and she's just like, can we watch something else? This looks depressing. And I just look at her like all the good shit is depressing, at least to me. Right now on my table, uh, my brother who moved to uh, Houston, he borrowed a movie from me because I kept telling him about it. It's like one of my all-time favorite movies. And when I tell you what it is, I can just hear people go, what? Because it's not an easy watch. Sleepers. I have the same sleepers on DVD that I got, what, 90, 98? 99 to give you an idea how old it is i'm going to open it did you hear that dvds don't open like that anymore all right um it's two-sided one side says widescreen and the other side oh it's widescreen it's a a and b it's two-sided and it says widescreen on it. You don't, nothing, nothing says widescreen on it anymore. I'm so old that when I worked at Tower Records, the video department, we had to explain people what widescreen was. We had to explain to them the difference between uh, fit to the screen and letterbox. And we had to explain to them what the, the aspect ratio was and tell them that, hey, if you watch a film and it's widescreen and this, you're not losing any of the screen. It's just that the top and bottom parts are blacked out because of the ratio. If you want to fit the screen, what actually happens is you're missing parts of the, the screen because it's been cut off. So there can be an entire person on the screen. But since you want to see it just to fit your TV to make your brain to, to make your brain feel better. Dumbass what's, what it's actually doing is it's hurting the it's hurting the integrity of the film as the director intended for it When you go to the movie theater, you're watching the film in this format It's just that when you watch it on TV, the top and bottom are blacked out It's just like you're watching it in a the theater If you try to fit it for the TV, you're actually fucking it up And we explain that to people day in, day out And you know what they said? They wanted the they wanted the one that was fit to t fit to the screen. Time and time again, and I mean I, I'm telling you I worked 1998 1999 just before DVDs took off. Um, we sold a lot of VHSs, rented VHSs. Uh, we would have palettes. We'd have the widescreen palette and we'd have the the regular palette. The regular palette would be just about sold out. Our widescreen palette. Maybe a third of it would be gone. Without fail. So that's my taste in film. I like when bad shit happens, I get it. There are a lot of people that go to the go to movies and they want to be entertained. They want to they like upbeat things. They, they don't want to do a whole lot of thinking and they just want to have a good time. They, that's why popcorn films are so popular. I don't eat in the fucking theater. 
I want to see something that's going to make me go, damn, that makes me want to write. Or that makes me wish I could have written that. That doesn't happen with romantic comedies. That doesn't happen with a lot of comedies. That doesn't happen with a lot of um, blockbusters and action films. But again, I'm not the regular person. I'm not a regular person or, or, or the average uh, theater goer. So I like when something is like has deep emotional content and bad shit happens. And I think it's safe to say that in this film, some bad shit happens. But we knew some bad shit was going to happen going in. I enjoyed it thoroughly. I think most people will enjoy it thoroughly, but I think they'll enjoy it for different reasons than I did. And I like the way it set up what can happen in the future the most. So much can happen now. You can do so much from here. And I think that's what I really liked the most. I liked what a lot of characters did. I liked a lot of things that happened. I'm excited for the future of the MCU after seeing this. Anybody who would drop a spoiler on this film is an asshole. They are devoid of heart. They they are devoid of common decency. They were not raised right. How can you see this film and want to ruin it for people? So much happens. It's so much better to just shut up and let it happen. Because the way that it was written and the way it was executed... It's better to just have somebody go to the theater and see it. Do not spoil it for someone else. No one spoiled it for you. Don't fuck up the experience for somebody else. Just be courteous. I know it's hard to ask that of people. But please, at least be courteous. I have a beard and I was combing my beard. I don't know if it's going to pick up. And it's funny because if it doesn't pick up, then I didn't have to say anything. And maybe I just feel guilty. This might be the shortest episode of Dart Against Humanity I've ever done because um, this probably isn't going to, it's not going to go past 45 minutes. I don't really see a point in it going 45 minutes. But um, I got up, actually, that's a lie. I didn't get up at all. I didn't go to sleep. Why did I say that? So I, um, I was looking at all the almost spoilers on Twitter and I was like, at some point I got to get off of here because I don't want anybody to say something that's going to piss me off. And then they do the, um, on Twitter, the thing that they do that I love are the spoilers without context and gift form. Those were great. And I was just like, all right, I got to see this sooner or later. I'm sooner rather than later. And I'm like, what's the earliest screening Friday morning? I go to um, Fandango, 7.15 a.m. The theater's less than 15 minutes from me. I just walked in and walked back. Um, I'm like, yo, 7.15 a.m.? 
Bet. And the thing is about the theater is you can pick your own seat. So I picked a seat right in the middle of the theater. Bap. Bet. And the thing is that it's um matinee pricing. So it's like $8. I'm like, Psst. bam. Got you. So I just, usually on Friday, I think I mentioned it before, I don't go to sleep. I watch whatever's new on Netflix at 3 o'clock. Uh, what was new on Netflix today that I started watching is a documentary called Street Food. Anybody can tell you that like that's one of my favorite uh, genres of documentary. Anything that has to do with food or cooking, that's an automatic watch. I'm like one of the people that on YouTube... My one of my favorite, some of my favorite watches are the Fung Brothers. When the Fung Brothers do Fung Brothers food, or they do this new thing called the Hot Pot Boys, they do this thing now where they go to every deli in America. They go to like Albertsons, 99, um, Whole Foods, and they'll just eat everything. I think people, most people watch Try Guys. I, I, don't, I don't really care for them. Um, but they'll go through everything on the deli menu, the hot deli and cold deli, and eat it, which is bananas. Um, one of my favorite dudes to watch is a dude, um, David So. He, he now calls his channel Genius Brain. And him and uh, Timothy DeLaghetto started a, a food show called Sin Foods. It got picked up by Thrillist. Now, if you watch the original episodes on um, David So's channel, which is now, again, he changed it to Genius Brain. Uh, you watch those, and then you watch, it was like, hey, we, we're going to announce a deal. Then you watch them now on Thrillist, where you can see the production value is different. Not that it's worse, it's better. It's just different, because now they can actually pay somebody to edit and do all this other stuff. But it's the same thing, and now it's like they have a machine behind them to actually push them. There was a small stretch where I watched some mukbang videos, but I couldn't do it. It was it was annoying after a while. And then there was this whole thing within the mukbang community about somebody and something happened and comments and uh, it just got ugly. I was just like, man, I don't care no more. If it ain't about the food, then it's like... Uh, But mostly, I will watch like documentaries around food. Uh, one of my favorite ones, again, I mentioned pr- earlier, Ugly Delicious. Love that one. But yeah, Street Food was fire. The first couple episodes I saw, I think I watched three. One was about like street street vendors and how one of them became famous she's a 73 year old woman she's been working cooking since she was 20 in her, in her 20s her original job uh everything burned down uh she lost her sewing machine and everything else so she started uh working with a sister and she was noticing that like in the kitchen and she started noticing that like the food was coming out fat quick, too slow or whatever so and her sister was like you can't do this and once she was told she couldn't do it or she shouldn't do something that lit a fire in her 
So she just started working on her own and coming up with her own way to cook. And ultimately, as working as a street, somebody who's cooking street food, like simple food for people every day, she's now recognized as a chef and like got a Michelin star late in life. She's 73 years old, has like a restaurant, came up with all these different um, and, uh, different food items herself, came up with her own menu. So she's recognized as one of the greatest chefs on the planet, starting out doing something that most people just look at as being simple. It's like really inspiring. Like another thing that I found like inspiring, I don't know if I've mentioned it on previous on the podcast. I've done 40 something episodes of this and I usually remember everything, but I talk a lot and I want me to shut up. So um, one of the most inspirational documentaries I've ever seen is um, Jiro Dreams of Sushi. I kind of it brings me back to the days when I was a little kid learning how to be a B-boy or the disciplines of hip hop where he teaches everyone how to make sushi and his passion for it at his advanced age is such that he's still passionate about it and he wants his students or the people under him to be as passionate about it and to be as meticulous as he is and the 73 year old woman still has that same fire and wants everything to be perfect and she cooks almost everything herself people line up just for, just to get her food and she's still cooking at 73 it's amazing it's inspiring and it kind of makes me look at society that wants to put 40 and 50 year old people on an ice flow automatically and shove them off because they're useless and they're old and they have nothing to offer the world. And here's a 73-year-old woman. And then like there's another guy. All these people all these people on the sh- they like they're up there in age. Not so far. None of them are young. And they're chefs and they're just doing it and they're still grinding it out and cooking for people every day. And they become famous for doing it. It's just insane. And it's like I watch stuff like this and it makes me realize that, you know, maybe you should just like, you know, stick it out and pursue your passion and and whatever. But at some point I'm still like, and then on the other side, I'm like, "Uh, uh, somebody pay me. I'm saying it's easy to be like, hey, I did it. I pursued my passion did this and I won when you're good, when you're comfortable, when you're okay, when you're not. And you're still not there yet. It's it's harder to do. It's harder to do. I mean, they say work it until it happens, but you could die before then, in theory. I don't want to die before then. Give me my shit now. How about that? Can can I win now? Can I do do? How much longer does the game have to go on? Let's do a second quest. Just let me win now. Anyway. But yeah, um, this podcast has been going on a year. I kind of feel like a year flew by. 
it hasn't felt like me doing just work, 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 work. And also, I took breaks. This is the third season. I did the 13 episodes first, and I did 22 episodes, and then I'm doing 25 straight. One every week. And then I came up with the brilliant idea, hey, won't you be professional about it and put out your podcast on the same day each week at the same time. So you're, I don't know, um, uh, um, what's the word? Consistent. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. How about that? You know. That's a great idea right there. Imagine if Mr. Robot came on at different times, at different intervals, every three to five days. As opposed to the same day, the same time, every week when it's airing. Westworld doesn't jump around. Pick a fucking date, pick a time. Be an adult. Make a decision. Make a plan. Oh my God, now I sound like women that want to date me. Make a plan. Yeah, but one of the things about this podcast, again, that I didn't do is I still haven't really promoted it or pushed it outside of who listens to it already it's kind of a word of mouth thing people are like oh i love your podcast i listen to your podcast and this is, i told my friend about it and then it's like i look at numbers because i kind of have to i don't obsess over them is the thing i look at them and i'm like oh wait there's growth here this episode did well this so did well people stop me on the street and I'll be like yo the episode you did about this and this and this I watched these listen to these episodes back to back I went back and listened to that one and you referred this to this one and I really needed to hear that at this time and that's great because a lot of times what I'm saying I need to hear or remind myself so I'm glad that somebody's getting something out of this because I'm just talking into a phone and I know I say that a lot but I am walking back and forth in my living room through the, from my kitchen to my living room talking into a phone. Okay? The other podcast I do, um, we actually have a setup, have mics, cameras, you know, we actually get guests, we arrange stuff, professional thing. This, I don't know exactly what it is. And again, uh, this season is going to run 25 episodes. So it's going to end on episode 60, uh, likely sometime early September, maybe early mid-September, I'm thinking. Like I can't count this every week, dumbass. And then I'll do a break. I By the time the season three is over, Season four might be a different animal. We'll wait and see. Well, it's up to 40 minutes and I don't want to keep talking.
So let's call it class.